0: Okay. Good morning, everyone here at the Investing Stuff You Should Know podcast. We have a fantastic guest with us today, Drew Dolan. He's out of Albuquerque, New Mexico. I've been interested in myself in the Albuquerque market uh, this past year. It's got a lot of interesting things happening, uh, a lot of investment from Netflix, and Facebook, and these different things going on. So uh, Drew is looks like he's been there for quite a while. So we're going to let him explain why he's there and what he's done. And we're just going to just jump into it. And he's also the president uh, or has, has been the president of Titan development. He's a fund manager, all kinds of cool things, things that are relevant to what we talk about here. So, Drew,
1: welcome. Hey, Johnny. Thanks. Nice to be here.
0: Beautiful, man. Beautiful here. So let's, uh, I see there's also some commonality here between you and I as an engineer. Uh, as I get get in the space, there's more and more of us that I find what uh what pivoted you let's just talk about that for like just a brief second here you were an engineer and then you became a what and why yeah
1: i (laughs) I was i was one of those engineers that got the degree and then wondered you know what the hell am i going to do with this degree because i really didn't want to be an engineer and so i went to to work for a company called train t-r-e-n-e and they only hired engineers to design HVAC for commercial buildings and sell it. And it was really a sales job. It was 100% commissioned sales job, first job out of college. And I loved it. You know, you could work as hard or as smart as you want, and you could make as much money as you worked hard and smart. And I did that for about six years in San Diego, uh, which is a great market to be in when you're in your early 20s. I was born and raised in New Mexico, went to school uh, in Arizona, went to Arizona State, And you know, after you know, kind of six years with Train, I realized I had a couple developers as clients, and they were having more fun, making more money, Uh calling the shots on deals, versus the architects, subcontractors, uh, engineers I was working with. And I'm like, I just I want to do that. You know, that's what I want to be. And so I moved back to New Mexico, and I was. You know, lucky enough to get partnered with a great guy who became my mentor and run that out for about 15 years. And I think the, the unique advantage for me jumping into development was I didn't really have any specific skills that were relevant, you know, other than being a salespeople and connecting.
0: Oh, I like that, you know? man. I like that. So you didn't come in with all these preconceived biases, right?
1: Yeah, I wasn't a civil engineer, so I never got pegged into that bucket. I wasn't a lawyer. I wasn't an architect. Like I just could do anything and everything, and I really gravitated toward raising equity and structuring deals and joint ventures. Like that's what I that's what I really loved, and that's where I, you know, made the most of my early career for sure.
0: Amazing man, and uh, a lot of people, especially emerging fund managers or people stepping into the space here, what was uh, what was your journey of how, and how did you connect with this one, this one particular partner that you are the kind of the founder and also like you said, your mentor, how did you connect
1: with them? You know, I was really lucky in that uh, my dad was a commercial banker and he knew all the developers. Uh, He knew he couldn't get me a job, but he knew he, you know, couldn't introduce me to all of them. Yes. And I, I met all of them and it was just clear, you know, this one group guy was doing more than everyone else. Uh, I took an eighty percent pay cut to start doing that because I was yes. making a really good commission. They're
0: selling, selling air conditioning, yeah. things like that in hot climates. It's, it's kind of like, yeah, it's like selling ice at a you know at a derby. You know, totally. it's like, wow, this gonna sell.
1: <laughs> totally. You know, we did Qualcomm data centers and big uh, biotech facilities and. I, just, I took an 80% pay cut to really invest in myself. And I think it took me two years before I was productive. And I really think it took me five years before I was honestly making money on my own and thinking. And, and that might sound like a long time to people, but it goes by quick when you're learning something new every day and you're always pushing yourself. And it was probably the coolest thing about that opportunity is... Uh, I never got tied down. Nobody ever said no. I just got to do things and explore things, and it ended up, you know, being very successful for all of us.
0: That's amazing, man. And I and I second that as well. I've made made a few career shifts myself, and yes, it does take, you know, a year and a half to two years before you actually feel like you're actually there's actually output. You're being productive in something. So, like you said, two to five, but yeah, like, you know, just like contributing and then actually creating value is like another, like, there's, I mean, I'm sure we break it down like this, this next, next couple levels, but that next, maybe that five year mark where like you are like the man and you're like doing stuff and you're actually, you're leading with creating value. That's another level besides just being like competent. So. But yeah, I, I, I uh, don't think that's strange at all here. So let's step real quick into the, you know, I see this this fund manager. So that's something that uh, I'm interested in. I'm currently in, in a, that myself. Um, how did you, what was the, the link between this kind of this, you know, became, eventually became president of Titan and, you know, started leading probably most things or a lot of things and, and you probably were, there's a lot of shared roles and then you actually decided to become a fund manager. Well, yeah. how was that journey and what does that, what does that mean?
1: Well, we were raising equity from high net worth and family offices on a project by project basis. We were also doing some mild or light institutional partnerships, uh, and a couple things. One, when you're on the hamster wheel of raising equity, you never get off. And you know your investors sometimes they put a lot of money into one deal and a little money into another deal, but the one they put a lot of money in. Went okay. The one they put a little in went great, and they didn't get the diversity. And so, in order to do a couple things, one, meet a lot, new, lot of new investors, and in order to you know give our investors diversity, we went out and put a huge pipeline of projects together, and we said, let's go raise uh, you know a hundred million dollars to feed that project pipeline. Yes. So we could raise equity once and then have equity for three three years and then do it again. And for our investors, projects that overperform balance out the ones that underperformed and they got a really great diversity across the whole, whole portfolio. So we set out to, to do that. I was a co-fund manager for a couple of years and then fund manager for a year. And you know, uh, we had a lot of great investors. We were very diverse in what we invested in. It was multifamily, self-storage, industrial, senior living, you know, the self storage performed extremely well. The multifamily did really well. Uh, um, senior living has been tough just because of COVID. I mean, just in general, it's been a really tough asset class. Yes. And, you know, in stepping into storage, uh, I got to know a guy named Corey Sylvester who he and his partners created a program called radius plus radius plus is the, uh, premier data source for everybody in the self storage industry whether you're a broker, developer, owner, operator, you know, they're the only ones that have identified all 55,000 facilities, they're the only ones that scrape the web of 35,000 of those every day to get rates and I was using their data. They're just, you know, they're basically a tech company that stumbled into storage and realized there was a hole for that data. And I became incredibly enamored in what data could do. Well, for any type of real estate, yeah. But it was especially applicable for self storage because of just what a commodity asset it is. And that when you know you, Jody, you want storage tomorrow on Saturday, yeah. And you look it up on the web tonight, you know, you're going to see how far is it away from my house? What's the price of that unit? And is that unit size I want available at that facility? And you really don't care whether it says public storage, extra space, or Joe's storage. For the most part, as, as long as they're you know safe and secure and get good access. But that's true because because of that commodity aspect of it, you can use data at a really high level to really scale and make investment decisions that I don't think you can do uh, with other asset classes. That's
0: amazing, man. Let me ask you one particular question there. So uh, we know CoStar is a very comprehensive data set. Um, I guess I'm not. I don't know for sure if they really touch or dabble into the uh, cell storage here. Uh, But then you saw a hole. Is that is CoStar really focused? Just like maybe you can. Maybe you know this. Maybe not. But is that they they just focus in the multifamily, or is because um, like you said, Radius Plus is so niched into storage that they're actually pulling out additional data that somebody like a CoStar or Reonomy doesn't have.
1: Yeah. Yeah. Good question. I mean, I hear a lot of feedback from people that co is not necessarily the most accurate data. Uh, Same axiometrics. Here. Are you familiar with axiometrics? I'm not, no. So that's a multifamily software that tracks existing new construction planning lease up. Uh, are you familiar with star for hospitality? Yeah. So star is also something that does it for, for all the hotels and Axio. I'm sorry. Radius Plus is like those where it's very specific to the self storage industry and it's very focused. I don't believe that I've never heard of uh, CoStar doing anything data wise for self storage in terms of facilities and new supply. Um, there are other programs that do it, but they're a far cry from the accuracy and the completeness of what you know Radius Plus did put together. And and you know what they ended up with was the industry's only supply data set. Nobody else in the industry knows where all the self-storage facilities are in the country. Nobody else scrapes 35,000 websites every day to get pricing. And why why does pricing matter in self-storage? Yeah, Because it's like an airline ticket. And pricing changes for all the more sophisticated operators every day. Sometimes they even change it interday. They change it based on How many units they have left of this size? What what happened this time last year? What other new facilities are open? And they're like airline tickets. You know, if it's the last flight, the last seat on the last flight from New York to Vegas on New Year's Eve, it's going to be expensive. Just like it's the last 10 by 10 on the ground floor in some hot market in Miami, it's going to be expensive. And the way to think about how the web works, you know. So many people shop for storage on the internet and essentially if you don't have prices on there, if you're not publicly showing your prices, mm-hmm. it would be like opening kayak, looking for a flight and Delta said, call us for price. And you're yeah. not going to do that. You're just going to no. select which one ever has the price. And so <laughs> the you know, SEO and the internet has really reshaped how people search for storage. And that's a huge advantage for those that are very sophisticated. That's amazing, man.
0: Um, quick question for a maybe a smaller operator, which I'm not a self, I'm not in a self storage uh, space yet anyway. Um, a smaller operator, is it uh, profitable so you layer on maybe the uh, the subscription to radius plus or some other kind of data and some analytics and and a more dynamic pricing. Does that still increase? you still have an increased margin by doing by incorporating the technology into my little uh, you know hundred you know 50 unit in some small town in Minnesota. Did that, do you still will you still experience uh, increased revenue from that or does yeah, it only kind really of um
1: there are software programs that help you manage and seo seo programs that help you advertise and software that helps you price i mean that is not radius although they're developing a management software mm. because there's a huge need for a more sophisticated platform yeah but you know, one of the reasons people get into self-storage is because the barriers are pretty low. You know, you got a piece of dirt. You don't know what else (laughs) it can be. Uh, It's not multifamily. It's not a hotel. Bam. It's storage, you know, and you can do non-climate control and that's relatively cheap and you can operate it yourself. So storage, you know, of the 55,000, 75,000 are still owned by mom and pops. I'm, I'm sorry. 75% are still owned by mom and pops. Oh, and so wow. it, yeah. it does have, you know, it's a very fragmented industry and you know, what we're building are class, a multi-story climate controlled, and we have one of the REITs operate. So if public storage is operating ours, you wouldn't know the difference between, uh, public storage, one they owned, and one we owned, it all looks the same. And we're going for, you know, denser markets. So I don't know if we, we as at DXD, you know, DXD is a data-driven self-storage investor, and we've raised two funds so far. We're, uh, our first fund did 10 ground-up development projects in major markets. Fund two will do 50 to 75 ground-up or value-add acquisitions, and, you know, what I, what I really appreciate about the second half of my career is staying very, very focused, being able to go anywhere in the country, which is a huge advantage of ours, Yeah. but staying very focused. Cause I, I certainly learned in, you know, my early career doing a lot of different things. Senior living is less real estate and more operating company. Storage is all real estate, very little operational component, but
0: That's a great distinction there, Drew. That's, yeah, that's such a good distinction there. If you like pie chart it out, you know, it's like, oh, like what, what's, (laughs) what, what am I good at? What is my team good at? Or what do I maybe, what do I, what do I want to focus in? Like heavier on this, lighter. That's an excellent analogy.
1: Yeah. I mean, industrial leans more to the real real estate. Uh, Obviously, you know, hotels leaned more toward operating company. And I got a really broad exposure in the first half of my career, which I loved. Uh, But I certainly haven't, you know, what attracted me to self-storage was the very unique advantage DXD could create by using data and some proprietary tools to look for investing opportunities. But, you know, just the business behind self-storage is incredible. And the growth story behind the sector is incredible. It's kind of unmatched in real estate. And, uh, you know, I love it every day of it.
0: Go, give us this, you can just get a little specific there. Give us a few numbers. You said like the grill story and the trajectory and something like that. Yep. Just give us a few high level numbers. Like, hey, like, why is this compelling? Why is your looking Well, what are those numbers?
1: Why is the business compelling? Because you can be running between a sixty and eighty percent margin. You know, so you're you might have one and a half employees or two employees. Wow, amazing. Very yeah. little utilities. You know, marketing is reasonably cost. Uh, so you know, just running sixty to eighty percent operating margin is a is a really cool business. That's um, amazing. <laughs> and then from a growth story, 15 years ago, 8% of the U.S. population used storage. 15 years later, today it's 12%. Wow! So that's a 50% increase in uh, adoption over the last 15 years. And what I think is actually really, really interesting is you know, COVID uh, caused massive disruption. Which storage feeds on times of disruption. It does really well when people need to move for a job or a, a, a son is moving home with their parents or schools out and schools are closing and you need stuff for storage. So the sector did really well, but 50%, 50% of the people that rented self storage in the last two years. Mm-hmm. They were brand new, had never rented oh my storage God. before. Wow. Wow. Which they might, you know, they might only use it for 90 days or nine years, but whatever, even if it's 90 days, once that exposure happens, the next time they move, the next time their parents move, the next time their kids move, you know, storage is now just a option for them that they never had exposure to before.
0: Oh, that's a That's such such good insight, man. That's so good. Do you see that twelve percent growing even beyond that? Where do you see that growing in the next five years? Is that percentage of the population that are have will use uh, self storage. Do you see that growing much?
1: Yeah, uh, you know this is the, the million dollar question that if you get <laughs> Ken Woolley, the founder of Extra Space, or you know some of the <laughs> some of the icons in the industry, yeah. they will speculate that it's growing, but nobody knows. Um, it feels like it's growing. I, I will tell you why I think. The last uh, two years has been really good for the sector. Number one, that whole stat of fifty percent brand new users is incredible. Number two, we're never going to go back to work from home like we did. You know, I'm sorry. You know, go to work. You know, this work from home concept where you spend two days at home and three days in the office, or now you use your home as a home gym versus going to the gym every day. You know, there's just so much more demands on our homes. So you're converting a bedroom to an office or a bedroom to a gym and that's here to stay, you know, that unique lifestyle is here to stay. And so I think that's going to help storage because people need to move stuff in and out of a home. Yeah, And then I think the third piece that is really bullish for storage is this just the cost of housing. You know, look at what rents have done up 15% across the country nationwide. Look at single family home prices. And now you add in mortgage rates and it's so hard to afford and incomes have not kept up with price of housing. And so what has happened is that somebody that could afford a three bedroom apartment now can only afford a two bedroom apartment, but they have stuff for three. And so instead of spending an extra $400 a month on rent, they'll spend $85 on self-storage and that's what makes sense to them. And so, you know, those three factors tell me that you know storage has some legs i will say you know storage has an achilles heel and back to my comment of it's relatively easy to get into yeah it it does get overbuilt it got yeah. overbuilt in 16 it will get overbuilt again and that's a real uh, you know kind of a nightmare situation for somebody leasing up a brand new storage facility because if you thought it was going to get x rents but now the rents are X minus 20% or 30% all while your interest rates are going up, you know, all while who knows what's going to happen with cap rates and construction costs. Yes. Uh, You know, everybody thinking about getting into it, you'll hear this from everybody. uh, And I'm not one of those people that says don't get into it because we want to keep this secret for ourselves. You know, Mm -hmm. anybody wants to get into it, get into it, but just be really careful where you're going to build. Make sure you really understand the drivers, dynamics, demographics around those sites, and make sure you don't have two other facilities on your heels that are then going to extend your lease up from three years yeah. to six years. Uh, so good, man. So good.
0: Um, let's uh, talk real quick about how did you uh, snag that? You said a, it looks like a strategic partnership with Extra Space Storage. You mentioned the founder of that. How did you guys, uh, how did you connect over that? And how did you kind of get in, get on that? Uh, sounds like a really cool probably partnership
1: well um yeah extra space is an incredible company they in our in the the first fund i ran uh we did six projects they were our operator and they uh-huh. ended up buying two of them i'm sorry four of them and uh you know extra space that's that's kind of the interesting thing about this business is they will manage for a fee just for a straight fee and that fee could be 4 5 6% from, you know, any of the managers who like the third party. They do a great job. They handle a lot of the things that uh, you know, an, uh, an an owner that doesn't know the business can handle. Um, they don't have a right of offer to buy it. It's not a joint venture, you know. They they can put equity into projects, but we didn't use them that way. And they were a great partner. They did a great job leasing it up. Like I said, you wouldn't know whether Extra Space owns it or we own it. So I think the stats, uh, Extra Space manages about 2,000 facilities. <laughs> and I think about 1,100 they own outright. And the rest right. are in joint ventures or they are in uh, you know, just third-party management. And they like third-party management because they want to own them. And they know if they have a relationship with you, their chances of owning are better. And so I shouldn't say, you know, our partnership with Extra was not a JV. Um, We didn't, you know, do anything unique that they can't do with other partners. Uh, We just had them do six projects for us. And we were, you know, had a great relationship and they they were a great
0: operator for us beautiful man let's talk about the structure of the partnership real quick here so um and just so i just so the the guests or the, the audience and myself can understand there so uh is, and this is probably just common real estate knowledge i just just so you can explain it here so the titan development essentially built a project and was it the owner and then the uh titan fund management was that basically did that provide the capital and then of course within that then you know uh extra space kind of came in or i'll lay out that that part in that kind of the partnership and how you how you guys best optimize how that worked
1: yeah let's let's talk about it uh from the dxd profile because that's that's sure. you know what we're doing and that's what we're on our second fund so first Absolutely. fund at dxd was 53 million uh a beautiful, number. beautiful number beautiful number 100 percent of the equity in nine out of our 10 projects we had one project um in hawaii that we brought in a partner who had experience on the islands so we were 30%, they were 70%. But back to, you know, the fund put in uh, 100% of the equity. We, you know, we hired a third party operator, uh, mostly public storage, but we have extra space as well. And the way that waterfall works is we pay our investors uh, 8% PREF, and then it's 80, 20 to a 12 uh, with a 60/40. Um, after that, we have a bit of a catch-up built in that allows us to split some operating capital if it comes straight from operations versus a capital event, which is a sale or a lease. But you know that structure right there for our investors, they solve to about a you know we think it's a call it 18 to 22 net IRR, which. You know, over a four to seven year period of time is an incredible IRR. You can achieve those in real estate. Uh, I think we, you know, we started building and looking for sites prior to the COVID pop and rates. So I think in a in a sense, we got lucky. Um, you know, we started this company at really the depths of the COVID recession pandemic, which I actually think was probably the best time. To start a company because yes. people had time on their hands yes you know our investors would pick up the phone and talk to us because we could travel what, what anywhere else are they doing the country what else exactly. are they doing, come on <laughs> you know they got to stop watching news for a little bit and i what turned out to be something i was nervous about turned out to be a huge advantage which is you know starting something when nobody else is thinking we're doing something uh and if we can do it during that period of time we can do it you know that's just a huge moral boost to the success of the program and the people just doing it in such a unique time frame
0: oh that's so good man that's so good here so well thank you for thank you for kind of breaking that out how that how that structure worked there um you're there's a lot of the i guess let's just talk about a little bit about your investor base into that, that, that 50 ish, we said 53 but 50 ish million into that first fund and uh, what you tapped um, uh, who is kind of the your top five sources of, of, income, of uh, capital for those. Is it like family offices, high net worth folks, insurance companies, IRAs, like what, what did that look like? Kind of that just kind of speak yeah. through that profile.
1: Yeah, it definitely, it was not institutional players uh, because it's really difficult for a first fund know the institutional world of pension and sovereign wealth funds and you know um state funds they they want to invest big chunks they need you to be a 250 million dollar investor they don't like first funds they want to write a 50 million dollar check i mean you know, it takes a long time. Anybody that's thinking that they want to start a fund and they're just going to go the institutional route, it just yes. doesn't happen. I, I don't want to say don't do it, because there are some groups like Texas Teachers has an emerging fund manager platform, but you know it is very very challenging. And so our our uh, you know our our network or my network is uh, high net worth uh, family offices, some smaller institutions. And, you know, we've got investors from probably 15 different states, uh, a couple different countries. And really what it is, is, you know, they believe in you. They think you're going to be successful. They like your strategy. Yes. And it's very much a trust based decision. And, you know, that's where track record comes in. And, you know, what's the structure look like? I mean, we never had to negotiate on our structure. It was kind of a take it or leave it structure. Mm-hmm. but I think the structure is reasonable enough based on the value that we create that everybody was excited about it. Um, but you know i I think we're we're in the very early innings of an enormous amount of capital coming into commercial real estate. and the way I think about it, and I just look at the number of podcasts or groups like, Cadre, fundrise, origin, crowd yes. street that are giving exposure to people who have never had exposure. Never and even thought about it, or like they totally. barely, you know, they're like, I, you know,
0: barely they, they bought their first car, maybe. Mm-hmm. The first loan they've ever had in their life was maybe a car loan or something. And all of a sudden they're like an invest in real estate.
1: Yeah, yeah, totally. It's gonna be an enormous opportunity because for us, you know, in, in our world. You, you had essentially the institutional players and they had a lot of money, but there was nobody else that really, unless you went public, right. which is hard to do. Right. But now you, you've got, you know, we all have an ability to scale with a, a lot more high net worth. And I think the the stock market has done extremely well up until late cryptocurrency has done extremely well up until late. <laughs> and, you know, you think about all the meme stocks and Reddit and stuff that happened. I mean, people just have a whole new outlook on investing. And in real estate, you don't don't get 10X pops or 4X pops. That just doesn't happen. I mean, we've had them, but you get more lucky than anything. You got to be in the business for a long time. But what real estate does give you is inflation for the most part hedged, reliable income if you've leveraged it appropriately you've selected great markets and great assets um, and you know over time you're going to do well time really solves a lot of problems in the real estate world and the one thing that we use to our advantage that can also be a double-edged sword is leverage you know we don't do anything without leverage however yeah. too much leverage. Will completely crush deals if they don't go the right direction. Yes. Yeah. That's a sword. You want a sharp sword. You want to handle
0: carefully. Very, very effective, but also you can cut yourself final question here to wrap this up Drew. thank you for just the, that last uh, that last little bit there that was really 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 good um, the the combination of data and i know the kind of talk to just maybe just wrap it up cuz i know it's probably like you DxD, the fund is kind of your kind of your focus and your baby you're on to fund too what do you think uh, if you had a recommendation to uh, emerging fund managers or either just fund managers or even capital raiser syndicators what would your what would your recommendation be on that kind of this synthesis that you're finding so powerful of data And, you know, real estate investment, what would you kind of couple of Mm. just a couple of points there?
1: Well, one, the bar is really low for you because for the most part, real estate, we build it, we operate it. We think about it like we did 20, 30 years ago, even multifamily. When we got into it in 2011, when I got into it, it was about going out and kicking dirt. We got to walk the site. Let's go walk the site. Okay. Good deal. Bad deal. You know, and we still do that in our world and in, in at Dxd. we still need to see the real estate. real estate matters, visibility, access, field, neighbors, and you can't do that from Google Earth. but what you want to do is go look at the sites that you know, check the box from a data perspective that all the data from a new supply, rates, demand, new multifamily, new single family, new traffic, all those things, it looks good. Now we go walk the site. So, When we go walk a site you know we're looking for problems not opportunities and i think what you know what dxd's done different is we don't start with a site like here's a site some broker sent us this site do the metrics make sense for self-storage what we do is we can look at an entire market and say okay here's the area and in that area here's the street and here's the land that's what we're doing and so We've got an ability to scale and look at scale that you know our competitors are, you know, kind of miles behind us. Um, not to say they're not doing great things and unique things themselves, but I don't I don't think they're able to really compete from a data perspective. But to answer your question, uh, you got to have something unique. What's your unique story? Are you you can't be just another me too multifamily buyer. In Mountain West markets, because there's ten of you or twenty of you already, yes. and there's probably and, five, more, five more coming up right now as we speak. Yep. You know. Um, so, what's the unique? Are you good at construction? Are you good at adding on additional units in land? Um, you know, can you build it for less? Do you have off-market deals? Are you sourcing something that you're not competing with ten other groups? Because there has been so much interest in commercial real estate because it's done so well that prices are way up. And there's a bit of a shakeout on the horizon. You know, things can't stay the way they are with interest rates increasing and construction costs from a development standpoint. You know, where where, where we are with rents and construction costs, like it is a strange, strange time for all of us that have been in this business for a long time. And I can't even project on where it goes, but you know, there's gonna be some kind of shakeout. And I think that in your strategy, you need to think of everything that can go wrong. And when it goes wrong, what are you gonna do about it? Because if you're protecting the downside, the you know, mm. the upside will always take care of itself. Yeah. All right, man. That it's a fantastic note to
0: leave us on. So um, thank you for all that. All the knowledge shared and i thank my audience for listening to another uh episode of investing stuff you should know podcast where we bring on fantastic and knowledgeable guests like drew that have done so much in development uh you know and across across a wide variety of asset classes and focusing now of course in self-storage and leveraging data and him sharing all that knowledge so drew thank you again and uh yeah hope to see you hope to see you out there
1: Johnny, thank you. Great podcast. Enjoy it. Yes, sir.